This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Good morning. We're in week three of our summer message series, uh, Colossians, the supremacy of Christ. And all the summer we're talking about how Jesus is above all things. He's over all things. He's in all things. That he is the completely unique and powerful ruler. He's a king. He's judge. He has uh, unmatched wisdom and authority. And so this summer, we're just seeing what Paul's letter teaches us about those ideas. And so if you haven't been with us the past couple weeks, you might have noticed we've changed our service order up a little bit. um, And that is on purpose to give us a little more time at the end of each service to reflect on the, the truths that we're talking about, to consider um, just how God might want to really drill these things down deep in our hearts. So we're finishing each week with a little um, extra time for worship and for prayer. This morning we're going to uh, have communion as part of that um, reflection period. And the other thing we've done is if you have a, a phone and haven't been with us the past couple weeks, you can text Christian Chapel to 31996. And each week you'll get just one. We're not going to spam you or blow you up, but you'll just get one uh, text message a week that'll either be a, a passage from Colossians or it'll be some similar reminder just to kind of in the middle of your week, wherever it finds you, to look up and to consider the supremacy of Christ and how it makes a difference for you in those moments. So you can do that again, just Christian Chapel to 31996, and then you'll get those this week. Um, This morning we are, like I said, week three, so we're in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, and we're going to see what that teaches us about the supremacy of Christ over creation. Uh, I think this passage really gives us some pretty incredible hope that if Jesus is, is kind of this magnificent in his rule and reign over all of creation, then it also really gives us a lot of encouragement that he holds all things together in our lives as well. So we're going to read Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along with me. In verse 15, Paul writes, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." This paragraph, uh, more than almost any other section in Colossians, lays out for us the supremacy of Christ. In many ways, it's the, the thesis statement of Paul's letter with every other piece supporting this central premise that Jesus is before all things, he's above all things, he's in all things. And again, we remember the the setting to which Paul is writing. He's writing to the church in Colossae. It's a church that is relatively new, full of new believers. Paul didn't start it. He had no personal interaction with them, but he'd heard of their faith, and he had heard of some challenges to their faith. And so he's writing this letter to commend them and also to encourage them to continue on in their pursuit of Christ. 
And so the, the church in Colossae, they were new believers. They came from various backgrounds. Some were former Jews. Some uh, had more of a Greek background. But all of them had come to place their faith in Christ based off of the message of the gospel. And then after they had done that, there were false teachers who kind of came and began to work among them and telling them, hey, that Jesus thing is good, but if you want to experience like the, the full spiritual life, a, a completely actualized version of your spirituality, then take Jesus, but add a little Greek philosophy to it, or take Jesus, but add a little Jewish religion to it. And so they were getting these voices coming at them from different sides saying, hey, what you have is good, but if you'll add these elements we're presenting to you, then it will be even better. And so Colossians is Paul's letter to declare, that's not true. Jesus is enough. And in this paragraph we're looking at this morning, we see his most uh, vocal argument for why Jesus is enough. And it's that he is the supreme creator. He is the one who has, through whom all things owe their existence and in whom all things hold together. And because of his completely unique authority, there is no one like him and nothing that needs to be added to him. You can see this when Paul begins in verse 15. He says, the son is the image of the invisible God. Now, he's not saying that Jesus is just some kind of picture showing us what God is like, but what he's telling us is Jesus is the perfect physical representative of God. He is the supernatural in the natural. He is God in flesh. Paul's reminding the Colossian church, and he's reminding us that Jesus cannot be put on the same level as any other religious leader, any other teacher, any other system of philosophy, because he has eternally existed with the Father. Paul elevates Jesus by locating him within the Trinity. He says he's the firstborn over all creation, again, pointing us to the uniqueness of Christ. Now, Paul is not saying that Jesus is created by God, but instead this term firstborn in this particular context is simply a, a reference to his status, that Jesus existed along with God the Father and God the Son before all things. And so before anything else, before any moment of creation, before any system of philosophy of religion, before any person, before any wisdom, Jesus was. And he's placing him here with God the Father, with God the Son, to say this is why Christ alone always is, be, always is and always will be enough. It shows us he's the one who stands before everything. It's a picture of how he outranks every element of creation. He's completely unique in his power, in his authority. There's no one like him. There's no one next to him. There's no one even close to him. His divinity means that he reigns over all creation. Then in verse 16, Paul writes, In him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him, and for him. And again, I mean, uh, this entire paragraph really is one of those that, that you can kind of sit down and read it in the course of your normal, uh, maybe daily Bible reading or, or semi-weekly Bible reading, depending on how disciplined you are in that. But you can plow through this in about 60 seconds, and you can go right on to the next thing. But when you stop and consider what is being said here, it, it should change your picture of Jesus and it should change the way you see his interaction with you in the world. When Paul says, in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, above the earth, all of this sort of thing. We typically, when we think of creation, we, uh, we just think of nature, right? 
Jesus made the mountains, the trees, the rivers, the oceans, the beaches, the deserts, all these sorts of things. And that's all true. But also included in creation is you and me and every sphere of our existence. In every moment, in every place we go, in everything that we do, Jesus stands supreme over those as the creator. Paul also tells us that he is over the things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, pointing us towards this idea that Jesus is not just the creator of the things we see, but of all the things we don't see as well. You see this played out in his ministry on earth where his miracles confirm his power over every element of creation, the visible and the invisible. He heals the sick, he feeds the hungry, he calms the storms, he raises the dead, he drives out the demons, in each case demonstrating his authority over all things. Then Jesus says also has power over thrones and powers, rulers and authorities. See, the supremacy of Christ means there is no power on heaven or on earth or below the earth that escapes his dominion. It means he reigns above everything. That everything comes under his lordship and his rulership. And I I think the reason this uh, passage in Colossians has settled in my heart, maybe even more deeply than any of the other things we're going to talk about this summer, is uh, probably because I was reading this right at like the the height of the Republican presidential primary this year, right? And uh, I know none of you have a vested interest in any of that, but if you did, uh, or maybe you know people who did, I think as I just, you heard the hysteria of our culture, and then you read this that says Jesus is above all of this. He's before all of this. In him, all things were created, powers, rulers, thrones, authorities. Then I think it has to, at some level, in our soul, teach us, just calm the heck down, right? Like, if you don't read that and relax a little bit about what's going to happen in November, you really don't understand the supremacy of Christ in any way. If your Jesus is affected by who's elected, he's not really God. He's just some little idol that you've created in your image to further your own lifestyle. But when we see Jesus as the one who's supreme, who's over all, who's above all, who's in all, then it means it really doesn't matter who gets elected. It really doesn't matter how good or how bad they are. All that matters is Christ is above all, he's over all, and whatever direction we go, we will continue to be faithful to him. It doesn't absolve us from participation in our political process. It doesn't make us just turn kind of a blind eye and approach life with this unrealistic idealism of like, well, it's, it's just all going to be fine. We still can engage. We still can work. We still can strive. We still should pray about our participation in that. But we do it from a position of peace. We do it from a position of rest that I might be certain that God has a plan for our nation and it needs to go in this certain way. But guess what? If that doesn't happen, he still reigns. And that's true on social media also, right? Like it's easy in here to be like, amen. And then tomorrow you're like, I got to share that so everybody knows who that. Like it doesn't, just stop it. Everybody stop it. Calm down. Jesus is Lord. That's what Paul's telling us. And again, remember, he's writing to a Colossian church under Roman rule. No matter how bad you think it is, it's not as bad as what they were experiencing or what they were about to experience. 
And if he can write, Jesus is king over all thrones, all powers, all authorities. He has dominion over everything. That included then, and it surely includes now. And so we can relax. We can, you know, every election, every presidential election is in my, you know, short life. And and we could go around the room. You could talk about the first one you remember. But every one I can remember. There's been a time where I've heard from at least, uh, you know, several Christians of, well, if this person's elected, God will bless our country. And if this person's elected, it's just going to hell in a handbasket. And what I've seen is sometimes that one they thought was God's anointed Savior is elected and things kind of keep going. And other times the one they were just terrified of is elected and things just kind of keep going. And, and again, I don't think that it absolves us from participation in the process, but it should remind us Jesus is Lord over all. And his power and his authority will never be restricted or dependent on us because we are his creation. So we can relax. He is over all. And just in case we don't get it, Paul says, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, I know sometimes we enjoy, I know I enjoy hearing like, well, you know, Paul says all things and here's what the Greek means and you can kind of understand a, a deeper meaning. That can be really helpful a lot of times. Uh, and, and this is one of those passages where I think it is helpful. So when Paul says all things are created through him and for him, the Greek word for all things, what it really means is all things. Everything, everyone, everywhere, every time is included in all things. Right, like I could talk to my, uh, my third grade son and say, buddy, what do, define all things for me. And he could tell me. It means everything, right? But we're experts at reading all things are created through him and for him and thinking, well, yeah, but not this, but not that, but not this circumstance, not that person, not this political system, not this particular situation. But Paul is trying to make it abundantly clear to us if Jesus is before all things and he's in all things, that all things are created through him and for him, then there is nothing outside of his power. There is nothing outside of his sight. There is nothing outside of his dominion. He's trying to paint this large picture of God for us. All things means nothing is outside of his dominion. There is no space in which he does not rule, that he rules over everything and everyone in every moment, in every sphere of existence. Abraham Kuyper was the prime minister of the Netherlands in the early 1900s. He once wrote, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. You see, Jesus is not just over all in a detached sense, but he's over all in a very personal sense. Because he created it, he has a plan for it, and he wants to claim his ownership of it. That should bring peace to our hearts. That everywhere, all the time, Christ is over all, Christ is above all, and he desires for every piece of creation to experience the blessing of his rule. See in just a few minutes the the links he will go to make that happen, but before we do that, Paul shows us how the supremacy of Christ guarantees that Jesus holds everything together. Verse 17, he says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
Now, this idea of Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's not some version of Christian pantheism where you go outside and Jesus is the tree and Jesus is the grass and Jesus is the dog and and all these sorts of things. But instead, what Paul is teaching us is, look, Christ is before all of these things. He existed. So everything flows out of his existence. So everything in creation has its, it owes its life to him. And so the idea of before all things is setting Jesus up as creator. And then the idea of Jesus in all things, all things hold together in him, is setting him up as sustainer. And so it's a picture for us of Christ creates all and Christ sustains all. Paul is teaching us, as one writer put it, that Jesus is the one who keeps the cosmos from becoming chaos. Or as another writer said, he's the power behind every consistency in the universe. He's the one who makes life possible for us by delicately balancing the innermost workings of our bodies and all of the factors that go into our existence on earth. You can do your own reading and and see just the, the, the delicate nature of our lives on earth and the unique circumstances that lead to life being possible on our planet. And as you read it, it should bring assurance to your soul that Jesus is before all things and he's in all things because he's the one who creates life and sustains life. Which means for us that every breath, every meal, every drink, every sunrise and sunset, should remind us of the unique power and authority of Christ. And on a cosmic scale of Jesus being before all things and in all things, it should bring rest to our hearts. But also on a personal scale, it should drive peace down deep because it means Jesus is before all things in your life. As Christians, sometimes we think of our relationship with Jesus as the day maybe you prayed a sinner's prayer. Or maybe you went to like a, a mega summer camp type deal and you, you, you raised your hand and you prayed with somebody. Or, you know, typically we have a moment in life where we say, yes, then I became a follower of Christ. But what Colossians is teaching us and trying to drive home is regardless of our response to Christ, he was before everything. So he was before my worst sins. He was before my greatest successes. He was before I knew who I was or what I wanted to do in life. He was before my marriage. He was before I was a dad. He was before I was a pastor. He was before I was a son or a sibling. He was before everything. What that means for me personally and what that means for you personally is that Jesus stands before all of your life. And he has staked his claim to your life as his son and his daughter, as his creation, before anything ever happened to you. Before the abuse or the abandonment, Christ has called you his own. Before your wealth or your poverty, he's claimed you as his child. Before your divorce or your breakup, Jesus has a plan and a purpose for your life. Before you were tremendously successful and respected, you were completely dependent on him. This idea of Christ is before all things settles our souls because it means my relationship with him is not dependent on the circumstances of my life. He's before it all. 
So you, I mean, and I know each of us, if we had time, you could think of the very lowest moments. Maybe you're in those moments this morning, and the good news of the gospel for you is Christ is before that. And if he's before that, it means he is not restricted in it, and he's not going to be stopped by it. He's before it. He exists before anything ever happened, good or bad or indifferent. And so he's going to work through all of life. He is your creator, the one who stands before your existence. And so there is no part of your life that can push his presence away. And it's such tremendous comfort to us. And then it also tells us that he holds all things together. I mean, again, we think of our Christian faith and we think, well, that, you know, I became a Christian the day I said yes to Jesus and that's the day I reached out and took hold of him. But it's a backwards way of thinking of it. All you did was surrender your life to move into his kingdom. And when you move into his kingdom, his glorious might fills you, as we talked about last week, and it's his strength inside of you that holds everything together. And if you live long enough with Christ, you experience a life where lots of things try to separate you from him. They try to pull you apart from him. And so whether that is a relationship that goes sour or a future that doesn't pan out how you thought it would or a a repetitive sin that you cannot beat and you can't get away from or whatever it is, the promise of the scriptures is that because Christ is before all things, because he's the creator, and because all things hold together in him, because he's the sustainer, that in every single moment of your life, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus and made available to you. And so you might have made some other bonds in life, right? You might have had a husband or a wife. You might have had a mom or a dad who turned their back on you and abandoned you but Christ still holds you together. Your health might have betrayed you, but Christ still holds you together. The person you love might have died, but Christ still holds you together. The future you plan for might be gone, yet Christ still holds you together. The children you gave so much to might have turned their backs on you, and yet Christ still holds you together. Jesus before all things and Jesus in all things means that nothing can separate you from God because it's not about you, it's about him. It's a tremendously freeing truth for us to embrace in our life. It means Jesus is the glue that holds our personal world from devolving into chaos. It means that every moment, good, bad, and indifferent, is held together in Christ. And, And just in case we don't believe it, Paul reiterates it by telling us he is the head of the body, the church. It seems like kind of a digression, right? What does this have to do with being held together? But again, it's the the picture he gives us is what's so important to understand. When we are called into life with Christ, we are not called into just an individual relationship, but we're called in to the kingdom of God, which is the church. He calls us into it, and Paul uses the phrasing of the body of which Christ is the head, right? It means all of your strength, all of your will, all of your ability to act and to move and to live and to rest and to heal comes from Christ. And so that's how you're held together. You're held together by surrendering your life to his kingdom and locating yourself in the church. 
And that always has a local expression, you know, like here at Christian Chapel, we are part of this church together. But beyond that, we're part of a historic church, we're part of a global church, we're part of a beautifully diverse church all around the world and throughout history. And that reminds us that when Christ is the head, he holds us together through every season. So we learn lessons from our brothers and sisters in the church who are suffering and who are persecuted. We learn lessons from our brothers and sisters in the church who are succeeding and just experiencing God's abundant blessings. We are reminded of the truth of God every time we gather together as a church to worship and to preach and to pray and to serve and to give. In all of these, we are turning our eyes up to see Christ as the head of the church. And just in case we still don't get it, Paul then goes on to tell he's the, the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. Again, kind of anchoring it of, you know, our, our understanding of our existence is birth and death. And what Paul is telling us is, look, Jesus is the beginning. Before you were, he was. And he's also, he says, the firstborn from among the dead. Again, pointing us back to his resurrections. Look, the, the thing every human fears the most is death. And the supremacy of Christ over creation is not just in his role as creator or sustainer, but it's in his role as the final victor over everything that would corrupt his creation. And death is the ultimate challenge to be overcome. And so Christ stands before us as the beginning and as the firstborn of the dead, guaranteeing life here and life forever. It's a beautiful picture. And just in case we still don't get it, Paul says, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. And again, everything means everything. It means everyone, everywhere, all of the time. No one is exempt. No person, no place is pulled out of that promise. Christ reigns supreme over all things. Paul is teaching us to look up, to consider the grand nature of Christ, his majesty, his glory, that he is so much bigger than we give him credit for. You know, th this is why it's so insulting to Paul that someone would come and say, you need to add a little Greek philosophy, you need to add a little Jewish religion, and then think, you know, he's saying, your Jesus is too small. If you have to add something to him, you haven't understood who he is, so let me help you look up. Cotton Mather was a, a Puritan preacher in, in the, I think, the, the 1700s. He once said that the chief duty of the Christian preacher is to restore the dominion and the throne of God in the souls of men. That's what we do when we turn to a passage like Colossians. That's what we do every Sunday when we come together. We don't come to say, God, give me what I want. We say, God, help me see who you are. And that changes everything about our approach to him and our approach to this life. We begin to understand that it's in him we live and move and have our being. In the verses we've discussed, Paul paints us this big picture of this is who Jesus is. Look up and see him. And then he finishes in verse 19 and 20 by showing us exactly what Jesus does with all of his supremacy down here. Verse 19, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is a, a remarkable switch 
it's Jesus high and exalted. And the next moment, it's Jesus bloody and dying and humiliated on a cross. And this is not the way our world works. This, the, just the, the abrupt shift in that should get our attention because we know when you get on top, you do everything you can to stay on top. You learn this from, your, from childhood. Right? Like surely some of you played king of the mountain at some point growing up, right? In some form or another. Maybe at school back in the old days when you could play games at recess. Uh, like one of my kids got sent to the office, for the principal's office for playing tag. Tag, what? Exactly, what? Like, I got sent to the principal for a lot of things, but playing tag was never one of them, you know? Uh, but anyway, so you would play this game as a kid, and maybe you played it at school because you had, uh, like, we would play it on the, 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 like, monkey bars at some point, which was a, a brilliant place to play King of the Mountain. Uh, you know, we played it in a swimming pool at times growing up. You'd throw a raft out in the middle, and somebody inevitably would almost drown. Or we played it on trampolines and led to broken arms and stitches and all the, you know, it's a beautiful game. Like, every, <laughs> Everybody should play it at some point. Boys, girls, not with each other usually, uh, but you should play it. But the whole goal, you know, get to the top. And when you get on top, you do everything you can to stay there. You got to watch your back. You got to watch the side. You might have to kick somebody, but you're going to do whatever you can to stay on top. And it's, it's a picture of how our culture works, right? Because our, like our whole culture, you want to be successful in business, climb as high as you can, as fast as you can, and then beat down everybody who tries to challenge your reign. You want to be a great parent? Give your kid every advantage so they can smash the competition. Right? You want to be ready for the end of the world, stockpile all this stuff, get way up high on the mountain so that no one can ascend to your level of security and comfort. This is all of life. It's about get as far as high as you can, then do whatever you can to stay there. And the picture Paul paints for us here is Jesus is as high as anyone ever could be. He is God high and exalted. He is supreme above all creation. He is the creator and the sustainer. And the creator comes down and doesn't just humble himself to grace us with his presence, but he comes down and he sees the rift that our sin has created. He sees how our sin has brought havoc into both the heavens and the earth. He sees how our sin has poisoned things both visible and invisible. He sees how thrones and rulers and powers have been set up in opposition to the way he, he wanted the world to work. And his solution is not to solve it from up here, but to come right down into the middle of it and offer himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Paul says, reconciling to himself all things through his blood shed on the cross. The supremacy of Christ over creation, the thing that's so amazing about it is not just that Jesus is up here, but it's that he chooses to come down here. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the grace of God extended to us. That no matter how low, no matter how dark, no matter how, how, how just incredibly inescapable sin may have your heart, the blood of Christ runs deeper still. And he comes to bring freedom to all things. He comes to reconcile to himself everyone, 
everywhere. This is the message of the gospel. We're going to conclude with communion this morning as a reminder to us that our forgiveness, our strength is not rooted in who we are or what we can be, but it's rooted in what Christ has done for us. And so the ushers are going to come and they're going to serve us. And I want you to hold those elements in your hand and just look up and consider the greatness of God. And then in a moment, we will consider what that means for us in our lives. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.